Thank God. Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold podcast is excited about season three and more fabulous guests. We have been talking with and sharing stories, experiences, and laughs with singers, songwriters, musicians, and independent artists in continuing gospel music and its gold. The guests on the show have tirelessly been on the battlefield to bring God's word through song, deed, and action. We also present tribute shows honoring those whom are no longer with us physically, but have left a legacy of gold with their contributions. We hope to continue bringing exciting shows and present great episodes and growing your knowledge in gospel music and its gold to keep you coming back for more. Welcome to Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold. Highlighting a Broadway play. Don't bother me, I can't cope which was a musical written by Mickey Grant and directed by Vignette Carroll. This production not only included gospel music, there was also jazz, funk, soul, calypso, and soft rock. In this musical, which is the second production, I have found to have Alex Bradford playing an important part contributing his talents as a feature character, actor, singer, along with his wife, Alberta Bradford. She played a role as a singer and actress in the Broadway production. Alberta Bradford was not only a singer, she was a musician and songwriter who not only played for her husband, Alex Bradford and his group, she also played for other singing aggregations, such as Chesapeake Choral Union, the National Convention of Gospel Choirs and Choruses, and several other groups. Now this play, Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, itself was focused on the African-American experiences with songs reflecting various topics about ghetto life, tenements, student protests, black power, and feminism. This show, was the directorial debut of Vinette Carroll, who was the first Black woman to direct a play on Broadway. The play was written by Mickey Grant, who was a singer, actress, writer, and composer. Now, Mickey was a featured actress on one of the earlier soap operas called Another World. And today with me, I have a co-host, and this is Calvin Gibbs Jr. Welcome to Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold. Hey, Calvin, thanks for joining me today. Good afternoon, Aunt Sonia. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this play. Great. And I will uh, go ahead and, and let you start off with telling me about I'm going to ask you to tell a little bit of history about plays in on Broadway. Now, this play began in 1972. That's when it started on stage. And I researched and saw that it did 1,065 shows. Can you talk to us about, as far as a Broadway play, 
1972 spanning that long? Well, first of all, I would say the plays done in that that era of time was by little-known Negro ensembles. That's what they call them, Negro ensembles. And a lot of the plays were talking about life as a Negro or as a Black person in America. This particular play I found has, well, this is a, a musical, as you mentioned, but even in looking at the the names of the different acts, uh, they still kind of related to the black experience. Uh, when you talk about got to keep moving, that could have definitely been a uh, African uh, musical or maybe a Negro musical. When you talk when uh, when the lyrics say. I got to keep moving. I don't have the music with it, but I got to keep moving, moving, Lord. I got to keep moving, moving, Lord. From I'm a long way from where I've been. I got to keep moving till I move on in. Got to keep moving till I get to heaven. In this life, I got to keep it moving. Another verse of that says, I got to keep pushing, pushing until I push on in. And another one says, I got to keep running, running, until I run on in. So it definitely talks about the life here on earth for a black person and how the ultimate prize of living and surviving would be getting into heaven, either pushing your way in, running your way in, or just moving your way in. Mm -hmm. Okay. I wanted to back up for a step and talk about the writer of the play, Mickey Grant, who was born, her name was Minnie Louise Perkins. Anyone who knows that someone that goes to Hollywood, they changed their name to, and her name was Mickey Grant, who actually was a wonderful actress. And she was born in Chicago, Illinois. And when she wrote this play, she had been in productions herself. And through her works, she came across Alex Bradford. And I mentioned earlier that he had been in earlier productions. When Alex's career in gospel music started to wane a bit, and after his musical heights, I'll just say, and they there was a lull in people asking for him to come and sing, that's when he transitioned into plays. If you could elaborate a little more on, and I'll just ask this, an actor, if you could give us a little insight of what an actor's view coming into a musical as rather than doing a standard play, like I'll say one of August Wilson's plays into a musical. Well, I would say, first of all, the direction would still come from the director. And of course, in a musical, you would have a musical director as well. There may be some dialects that have to be worked out if you're talking about a, 
a specific era. Uh, people may have talked different or used different um, words to uh, verbalize their intent. That have to be established as well. And as well as the costumes for that genre, for that um, era, that would have to be determined as, as well, uh, making sure that all jewelry, uh, pants, shirts, hats, uh, thick dresses, purses even, gloves, all match the specific era that you're talking about. Um, again, that comes from the director, the musical director, and whoever's in charge of uh, costumes and props. Okay. And then in prepping for it, let's say a singer going into now a musical. And when we think about a, the difference between a play, you have mainly dialogue. In a musical, when you were looking at the Sam French book, you mentioned to me about the number of pages. Could you elaborate on the difference in that as far as a standpoint of what the differences between the, the, the page numbers? So in this, a musical, you have a lot less pages of dialogue, which you indicated was like, what, 15 pages? Well, I don't have the entire... Uh, musical part of the book here so I know it's it's more than 15 pages but uh, let's go back a little bit and you mentioned uh, Sam French here you're actually referring to Samuel French who is a publisher of books uh, especially the old books they hold the rights to royalties for these books and music uh, in order to put put them on a person or organization would have to buy the rights to do that specifically on which days they're going to do it, number of days, how much they're charging, where they're going to do it at, uh, so on and so forth. They would be given a, a price that they would pay to Samuel French Incorporated. And then whoever uh, gets the royalties, it filters down from that point. <clears throat> Excuse me. So for this particular uh, play, what I have is some of the music and some of the uh, corresponding uh, stage direction as to where the actor or singer was at when it took place on the stage. And as far as the uh, singing, the singing is actually, in a lot of cases, taking the place of dialogue. They're telling the story through song. I think that's what you was referring to. Right, but, right. Yeah. They're, they're actually telling the story through song. Now, let me ask you this in regards to dialogue and singing. What do you think is more resonant to people when they're involved or come into a production. And I, I'm going somewhere with this. With a lot of gospel plays, gospel productions, 
they always throw in gospel songs as opposed to over dialogue. What do you think that is, the reason for that is? Well, I can only speculate on that. Uh, one, I would say their, their skills in directing could use an a upgrade, let's say. You don't have to um, put in songs just to say, I'm going to put a song in there. The lyrics of that song should be specific to what's going on in the scene or what you want to portray in that scene. It should be a part of telling that story, moving that story forward and not just an obligatory song or oh, we need a song somewhere let's put this song and I like this song and it has nothing to do with the scene uh, in a lot of cases nothing to do with the play either that's interesting I know that when there are sometimes and I think this and I this is just me thinking that sometimes they know that uh, the playwright knows that this is a heavy part but they want people to pay attention. And the best way for them to pay attention is to put it in song. Because your audience will remember a song longer and catch on to it quicker if it's put to music. Do you think that's the concept of that? Well, I would say to a certain degree, that's correct. However, there are there are some very powerful monologues in play that people remember just from the presentation of it, the words that's given in it, and the context of the play that it's given in. And to me, a lot of times that will outlast as far as remembering any song that I may hear. Now, if it's a song that is very moving, if it's a song that is very upbeat, it can get you clapping your hands or you know, stomping your feet, then yes, you're probably going to remember that. But uh, again, it all has to be in context of what the director has as far as a vision. Because don't forget, the director is actually guiding what they want the audience to remember. Mm. Okay. So they are in charge of, you know, if they're going to put a song in there and then what words or lyrics are going to be used in that song, or is this a spot that I can put a real powerful monologue or dialogue in there that people will remember? Okay. Well, that's food for thought because sometimes, uh, like you said, a, a director wants the audience to walk away with a specific feeling or a thought. Right. Okay. I want to take a pause right here and I want to play a song that Alberta Bradford, and recall I said earlier that Alex Bradford was a great gospel singer and recording artist. And I'd like to play a song from the play. <laughs> that was led by Alberta Bradford. What's the name of the song? 
the name of the song from the play is All I Need that was led by Alberta Bradford. And it gave a lot of information about telling, I'm going to say, the government what they don't need. And as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, is that the director wants to relay a message. Now I'll ask you this, and, and I find this rather interesting. Do you think the director has input as to what songs go into a play? Absolutely. Uh, especially if they also, if they have anything to do with the writing of the play, then definitely they would have some input as to uh, what songs are in there. And if those original songs are not available and they have the authority to substitute different um, songs in there, yes, the director has an absolute responsibility to put songs in and make sure that they are songs that's going to represent the vision they have for the play and what's going on in that particular scene. Well, that's good to know, because when you're writing a play, and the person that, as as I mentioned, that wrote the play was Mickey Grant. Mickey Grant also wrote the music for the play. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think, especially, I know that she wrote the song, she wrote the play. Do you think that that was her, part of her dialogue that she was putting in the play. When you say her, you mean Mickey Grant? Mickey Grant, yes. The writer. I would say probably yes. They probably worked in a group, a group effort to get this project off the ground and into the theater house. So I would say say yes. Uh, she may have brought the songs and the lyrics to the director. And they listened to it, collaborated on it, and decided as a group what they would put on stage or, or use it in the telling of the story. Okay. Now and that mm -hmm. and that song that you mentioned, All I Need, that was actually the uh, next to last. Well, actually, that was the last song in the play. Mm -hmm. uh, the very last song was a reprise of the first song in the play, I Gotta Keep Moving. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you, I know that you're from New York. Are you familiar with Playhouse Theater? Yes, very much so. Could you elaborate on, uh, I'm looking at, since it debuted there at Playhouse Theater, where is I, I the location in reference to the theaters and shows that are put on Broadway in reference to that where where would that be located well the area of Broadway is like from 43rd 44th street uh between 6th to 8th Avenue, and it can run all the way to 48th, 49th. They've expanded it over the years. Uh, I'm sure during the 
the early 70s, they didn't have as many uh, theater houses as they have now, but some of them are very old. They've been around for a long time, and this particular one is one of them. Um, what borough is it in? Oh, this is in, in Midtown Manhattan. It's in the theater district, Times Square area, um, um, if you will. And the thing is, a, a lot of Black plays, especially during that early 70s time period, uh, wasn't allowed to actually be in the bigger theater houses. Mm. They would be in, in, in the smaller houses, but it was a big deal to be on Broadway at all even if it was in a smaller theater. Um, but as time went on, they found out that the um, not only the Black audience, but just the uh, Black play, Black production uh, being brought could sustain being in a, big, a bigger theater. And in a, in a lot of cases, uh, the audiences have demanded that they be shown in a bigger theater. Yeah, I wanted. That's why I was bringing it up about about that. Is it wasn't like an off, off off Broadway, which is a little black box theater. And just to talk about what I know about a black box theater, because I am not the theater expert, but a black box theater is a smaller space that can house up to 100 people or a little bit more. And it's more intimate. People are closer to the stage. They generally don't have balconies in them. And to think about getting on a stage of uh, in Midtown Manhattan was a big deal. Yes, it was. Just to be in Midtown Manhattan in the Times Square area in a theater that had lights on the outside, you know, the big, big marquee uh, had the names out there. That was a very big deal, especially for a uh, Negro ensemble, uh, even though it may have been an actual, actual smaller space theater, it still had some of the bells and whistles that was not, um, uh, was not in the black box theaters. Okay. I'm wondering, because I have not that this is something I have not found is a, an original poster. I'm wondering if Alex Bradford was the draw to bring people in or even to access that theater, if he was part of the draw of that, or if it were Mickey Grant. Mickey Grant, as I mentioned, was an actor. That's the one who wrote the play. She was an actress herself. And I found out that she herself was an actress on a soap opera. Well, we call, they called them soap operas back then. <laughs> but a soap opera called Another World that ran from 1966 to 1972. And that was on television. And just reading a little bit about that was that was a explosive is what we would call now. It would just really have been topics 
that weren't really talked about in that day. So what, right. what word am I looking for? Well, yeah, that is a, a good point. Some of the topics were taboo. Um, when you got when you consider that you have black actors or singers and they're talking about the black experience, uh, there's gonna be some things in there that some white people may not want to hear. Mm -hmm. No one, you know, no one wants to look at themselves in the mirror. Uh, that that type of thing. But don't forget, the the producers of this play, uh, they're the ones that brought it to the Playhouse Theater. I believe they they both were were white, white men. Okay. Um, Ed, Edward Padula and Arch Lustberg. Mm. I believe that they were both white. So they saw something in there in the uh the play that they thought would be suitable to try to bring to bring to Broadway. Okay. And I you thinking about the draw to Broadway or even the draw and I'm going to reference this too about gospel music. And I spoke with someone about that. Sometimes you have to know who to bring before people to get a crowd to come in. How many seats can be filled by a specific person? And I know that if you have a cast of people who are unknowns, you're liable to have a partially empty theater or predominantly empty theater because you have a lot of unknowns. They don't have anybody to bring into the theater with them and or bring to any kind of show. They don't have anybody to bring with them. I'm wondering if the selection of people that were that participated in this play were strategically picked to make sure that they brought their audience. As I mentioned about Nikki, Nikki was a television star and soap opera star. Alex Bradford was a gospel star that brought people because Alex was very popular in gospel music. And as I mentioned uh, before, is that when Alex Bradford's gospel singing career started to wane that's when he went into the playhouse i'll put it that way because that's what they're calling the playhouse and i'm wondering if he brought an audience with him as well being this is more of a when you think about don't bother me i can't cope and the kind of topics that they talk about and the mixture of music that they have what was the draw to put gospel music in this play? Is it because this is a music that is a core of African-American people, Black people? I'm just asking your opinion. Well, I think that um, you have to put <laughs> some type of genre in it. And this is actually... For, at least from, from the songs that I can see, 
in the abridged version that I have, it seems to be uh, different genres of music, it's not just gospel. Um, yeah, it is. It, and I mentioned that it has gospel, jazz, funk, soul, right. calypso, and soft right, rock. Right. right. So your question is, why did they use gospel in it? Why do you think they put that in there? Because some of the productions, a lot of the productions, Black productions that were put on, they would only use a specific, a specific genre, like jazz or blues. Maybe have funk or soul. Or well, I think, well, I think it's because that was part of the Black experience, you know, gospel music, as well as you know all of the other genres that you mentioned. So yeah, I mean, why not put it in? Uh, it's going to appeal to some part of the audience and to others it's going to be an introduction and to others uh, it may be something that they can just go and do some research and learn more about okay yeah because I, I was looking at the the different genres that they have and sometimes they'll put in just one or maybe two genres of music and I've figured that some of it is possibly to draw a specific audience but in thinking about it now thinking about it out loud they were trying to draw a larger audience uh because if you throw a wider net you're going to get more people to even and they even included soft rock in the in the show mm -hmm. and, and you know when you think about audiences uh it probably was you know a primary a white audience mm. and if you can give them if you can give them entertainment of these black people uh, doing different types of music, playing different types of music, singing different types of music, dancing to different types of music, then that's an enjoyable evening at the theater. Mm. Okay. Yeah, because you want to, you're saying sprinkle a little bit of everything. It's like putting salt and pepper on food. If you don't put enough salt, it's bland. If you don't put in, if you put too much pepper, it's too spicy. So you got to put a little bit of garlic salt in there, a little bit of onion powder, some saison, you know. <laughs> don't be trying to make me hungry now. <laughs> But this is, I just thought I would bring this out and wanted to talk about uh, this play and bring out the fact that not only did Alex Bradford, and I know that I did a feature show on him at one time, but also about the arts and the input that Alberta Bradford had in this production of Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. I was trying to remember why I wanted to cover this and why it was so inspiring for me to come across this. I love Black history as well as gospel music. And to see that this was a production that was not only written and created by an African-American woman, a Black woman, but it was also the cast predominantly was a Black cast. And then to find out as well, doing more and more research, finding out that Vinette Carroll, this was her first 
Broadway directorial debut, and she's the first Black woman to direct a play that was on Broadway. And to find out even more that this is a Black play that was put on in Midtown Manhattan in 1972. Those are some classic steps, I believe, in that launching a show like this and getting on stage and being able to perform. Now, the like I said, in the information that I read, there were over 1,000 shows that were done. And when you calculate that out, and I should have asked you this in advance, because you know, you have the New York math and you tell me I have a different kind of math, but in calculating that out, there generally are five shows a week or six in theater. Well, it, well, it can depend. Uh, definitely you have your Saturday matinees and Sunday matinees and um, Saturday evening, Sunday evening. So that's four right there. Uh, theater and Broadway is generally closed on Mondays. So you have Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to uh, put on a couple more shows. It could easily be like six six shows a week. Hmm. Interesting. That's a lot of hard work. <laughs> yeah. When you when you think about that, because generally or typically, a play to prepare for a play takes what six weeks. Well, yeah. For that, community theater, six weeks. How many weeks for Broadway, do you think? Uh, it might take several months. Wow. Well, yeah, because Broadway, you have to be on, on point. Is that what you say? On point. You have to be on point when you're on Broadway. So you yeah. can't go in there and somebody not know their lines or somebody not know where they're supposed to go. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody hitting bad notes or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That too. So you have to get your vocals together and singing and production, remembering the lines, remembering the lyrics to the songs. Because in a musical, most people have speaking parts and singing parts. And that can get very. Okay, so I can see that uh, going and training for, or I'm sorry, studying for, what's it called? Give me the correct. Rehearsing. Rehearsing. And having rehearsal so many times and doing that. Yeah, okay. I read also, and this I, I pulled up directly from Wikipedia, so anybody else can find this as well, that Clive Barnes, who was of New York Times, he described it as a mixture of block party and revival meeting. Okay. So that's the feel, I believe, that they were trying to go for with the kind of music that they had. Uh -huh. And then he also went on to write, it is the unexpected that is the most delightful. Last night at the Playhouse Theater, a new musical came clapping, stomping and stamping in <laughs> it is a fresh fun and black black heroes 
such as Flip Wilson and Godfrey Cambridge and even Bella Ambas and Ralph Nader are mentioned in the show and makes way mockery of the changing times and celebrates the rise of Black aspiration and achievements. We've been trying to rise for a long time. <laughs> mm -hmm. So those are just some little tidbits of what people thought of the play and thought of the production. I really would like to, and this is just me, I believe the last time it was done and still looking on this Wikipedia page in 2016 at the York Theater Company, they staged a limited engagement of Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope with 10 performances between February 27th and March 6th. And that was a 2016. And then in 2018, the show was revived in the Encores off-center season at New York City Center. Wouldn't it be nice to see a modern-day version of Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope and I could imagine or couldn't imagine what gospel singer would take the place of Alex Bradford. And if they brought it just from the original script of the Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope that was written and staged back in 1971, it would be nice to have a retro because that's over almost 50 years over yes it's over 50 years and to see if there's some dialogue or music that's in that production that is relative to today's society in 2023 yeah i'm pretty sure there is because at the beginning of this show you mentioned that there's one of the topics that was covered was feminism and then yes. a few minutes ago you read the uh, wikipedia and you mentioned bella abzog well, Bella Abzug was a U.S. representative uh, back in the early 70s, and she actually joined forces with um, some some other feminists like um, Gloria, Gloria Steinem, Steinem. Mm -hmm. Shirley Chisholm, and and Bertie Frieden, um, and they formed the National Women's Political Caucus. Mm. <clears throat> so once you get, you know, the Republicans, especially the white Republicans, I, I should say white representatives uh, talking about your work, um, that's something that stands the test of time. And we see what's going on today. So I think th there, there will be a lot of um, topical conversation that could come about as a result of seeing an updated version of that play for today. Mm, okay. Yeah, that sounds, yeah. And I, you know, I keep forgetting that everyone does not know, like if you call out a name, you really should explain a little bit about who they are. Because when you think back to 1971, we are now in 2023. Someone may not know who Godfrey Cambridge is. I knew who he was growing up as a kid because he was a stand-up comic and actor. And most people would have seen him in the earlier shows with Bill Cosby, Dick Gregory, and Nipsey Russell. And he was an acclaimed actor and comedian during that time. 
Uh, Ralph Nader, well, we'll go back to Flip Wilson as well, who was a comedian and an actor. Flip Wilson had his own television show back in the 70s, the late 60s, early 70s. And he he hosted a weekly variety series, which was on national television. And then Ralph Nader, when you talk about politics, <laughs> right. you could talk a little bit more. You, you're more in the political realm of understanding who these people are. <laughs> well, Ralph Nader uh, is an American uh, political activist. He actually ran for president uh, with the Green Party which he didn't win. He didn't even get 5% of the popular vote. But uh, yeah, and and he's still alive. I think he's about 89 years old. Mm. Yeah, and when, you, when productions put names in to plays, they always reference people who are or have been in the, in the light, in the limelight during that era. And I'm wondering if like, like I mentioned, 2023, if those names were mentioned, would they know? Now, Gloria Steinem, of course, because they talked about the feminist movement, but I did not remember Bella. <laughs> so that is interesting. And I'm I'm wondering, like I said, if they revive that show, if they would give the definition of the people or description of the people that they reference, or would they bring it to someone in current time who represents that same genre that they spoke about when we talk about the comedians and the politicians and the uh, feminist movements and the like. And I, I believe in this day and age, they will probably talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, which yeah. would be incorporated in that. So as I mentioned, I just wanted to talk about this play because this was the second production that Alex Bradford played a, played a very prominent role in. And again, as I mentioned, he brought his wife in and involved her in not only singing, but as a musician in that play. And I want to thank my guest host, my guest co-host. <laughs> Calvin in joining me in doing this tribute to Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. And we talked about just bringing up a, a little aspects, not only of just gospel music, but of theater. And I always like to invite Calvin to join me when doing something that's theater related because he can give the aspect of, give the perspective of the production. Uh, and Calvin, would you like to have some parting words, like um, anything in regards well, before I do my closeout? Well, I just say thank you, Anthony. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, whenever you need me, uh, you can call me. All right. And I'd like to thank my guests for listening to this tribute show, honoring the highlighting a production, Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, which featured Alex Bradford, who is Gospel Music Gold, in this segment on Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold. These shows are to explore, record, and raise excitement about gospel music and its gold. I hope you, the audience, enjoyed this episode as much as I have. 
please send me an email sharing your thoughts about this show segment. Also, if you have any suggestions of future guests you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to let's talk to gmg at gmail.com. That's let's talk the number two gmg at gmail.com. You may also like and share the podcast, or if you subscribe, you'll be alerted when the newest show is published. And I'll mention there is now a Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold radio show on WMRMDB Internet Radio Station that comes on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I am your host, Sonia, saying, let's sing, let's shout, and tell of the great news through Gospel Music Gold. Until the next episode, take care and God bless. I've got to keep moving, moving, Lord, moving, moving, Lord, I'm a long way. From where I've been But I've got to keep moving Till I move on in I've got to keep pushing Pushing, Lord Pushing Pushing, Lord Pushed a long way From where I've been but I've got to keep pushing till I push on in. I've got to keep moving. I've got to keep moving. Oh, I've got to keep moving. Travel. Nobody has a map, but I know one day I'll find a way. Hey, I gotta keep pushing. I gotta keep pushing. Oh, I gotta keep pushing. Well, there are times when I get discouraged, and I remember what I read one day. The race is not given unto the swift. This episode has been sponsored by Nelsie IT. The disaster has happened. We were all caught off guard March 2020. And in many cases, 
there is now a rebuilding process which must take place. How does this affect you as a church leader or a small business owner? With over 20 years of experience, we can help you create an emergency response and a business continuity plan for your church or your small business. We discuss methods of preparing for the next emergency or disaster. Here are a few things we can speak to you about for your church. How to continue communicating with your congregants without access to your physical location. How do members reach the leadership staff? What about church records? Are they safe and available? And here are a few things we will cover for a small business. Communicating with your customers and meeting their needs and or orders. Do you have a backup process to keep your business records safe? We can talk about technology, security, and record keeping. For more information, contact us at 708-762-3587. That's 708-762-3587. And we can discuss how you can feel more comfortable in creating a emergency response plan and or a business continuity plan.